Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. Are you looking forward to hearing from the life of Nehemiah? Someday, you'll get to meet, someday you're going to get to meet him. Say, uh, how'd you pull this off? And he's going to say, it wasn't me, it was God. I, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought I'd care this much, and I did. Keep praying that God gives you a caring heart. Caring. Uh, th- these, these words popped into my mind a couple days ago. They're not, one of them's not actually a word, but I've been coming up with words for a while now. So uh, uh, prayerlessness, carelessness, and sharelessness. They go together. Sharelessness is not a word, but carelessness and prayerlessness is. But since I like to rhyme things, uh, sharelessness fits well. But if you're, if you're prayerless or if you're careless, then you'll be prayerless, and if you're prayerless, you'll be shareless. There'll be no sharing because there'll be nothing coming out. So, uh, but Nehemiah had all those things, didn't he? He cared, he prayed, and he's willing to share his life and uh, whatever that entailed. So turn with me to chapter 2, starting with verse 11, and we're just going to read verse 11 through 16. 11 through 16, Nehemiah chapter 2. By the way, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And two very sturdy ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. I mean, they're standing like sentries back there. That's what, you know, they're on duty. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, it should be marked already uh, with that passage. Starting verse 11, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. He arrived. He got to Jerusalem. And he was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me, sorry, animal lovers, except the one on which I rode. There was one, animal lovers. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. Its gates were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. So kind of went out and looked back at the wall there. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Let's pray again. Father, we ask that your spirit Open our eyes, our ears, speak to us. And Lord, everything we hear, may it truly change us, conform us more to the image of Jesus. May we apply it in our lives, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you like to solve problems, if you like the Rubik's Cubes of life, there is no better place for you than in the ministry of the Lord's church the body of Christ. There's always going to be problems in the body of Christ. If you thought, well, if I come to church, everything will be perfect, wrong. That's where you're going to find people that really need help. It's people that finally are admitting they need help. Why? Because the problems that matter most to God always involve people. The problems that matter most to God involve people. God's love is for people. For God so loved the world that he sent his son for people. It's, a, it's people above everything else in creation. I, I, I'm a fan of the whales, but God doesn't care as much about them as people. 
if you don't like solving problems, because people with people you get problems. Amen? Amen? This will never not be the case until heaven. But if you don't like solving problems, particularly problems that leave lives in ruin, don't be alarmed by that. You say, well, I, I, my initial response is I don't like dealing with that kind of stuff. Don't be alarmed or surprised. You're not alone if you don't like dealing with all that stuff. But rather let God by his spirit birth within us the ministry of reconciliation. That makes sense? So you say, well, I don't nat- I'm not naturally inclined to want to solve and help people's problems. Join the club. But let God birth this ministry of reconciliation in us. I believe Nehemiah was open to that, right? He became a sponge to that. The ministry uh, that I'm speaking of is about repairing and rebuilding. This is what God's called the church to, repairing, rebuilding. Jesus came to solve the eternal problem of what? Death brought about by sin. That was the problem. I mean, there's many other smaller problems, but that was the problem. Death brought about by sin. And now the entire ministry of the church and the servants of God are to be instruments in the hand of God. You and I were to be tools in God's hand, a scalpel, a hammer, whatever it may be. We're tools to bring about salvation, to bring about healing, to bring about renewal. So Jerusalem, you can picture it just like other lives, other places, other church bodies. This is our command. It's not a request. We're told to be ministers of reconciliation. It's a daunting command, isn't it? That's a huge job. Just like Nehemiah, he had this really big job. But the size of the command requires a master plan. Size of the command requires a master plan. And such was the case with Nehemiah. He desires to do the job. Wouldn't you agree? He wants to do this job. Well... He may not have wanted originally, but at some point, he came to the place that he wants to do. I didn't originally want to be a pastor, but Lord finally says, I want you to be a pastor. So finally, I came to the place and said, Lord, I want to do this job, and I want to do it well. Nehemiah may, originally may not have wanted to do it, but when he did come to that place, Lord, I want to do it well. When you first became parents, you might be sure if I'm ready for this, but Lord, I want to do it well. Now, he has some of the skills necessary. Aren't you glad you have some skills? Aren't you glad you go into a new job with not a zero skill base? But nowhere near enough skills. Does that make sense? He has, an, he has some, but not enough. By the way, this is true for all of us for any job God has to do. We have some, but not enough. God will never give us enough. That comes by the Holy Spirit and says, it's like manna for each day. But he's humble. And he's leaning on God. He's humble and leaning on the Lord. And a humbled and surrendered man or woman will be given a strategic plan by God. Don't you want God to give you a strategic plan for things? Maybe, and by the way, when he gives you a strategic plan, he doesn't necessarily give you every single step. So let's say the steps are 48 steps. You know what he gives you first? The first 12. The other 36 are still in his possession When you finish the first 12, you get the next 12. When you finish those 12, you get the next 12. Finish those, you get the next. Sometimes it's not even 12. Sometimes it's like three steps. That's why I use usually three bullets. Keep it simple, right? But those other steps come later. 
those of you that manage or those of you have uh, you know, people under, you probably don't give the entire plan because you don't want people kind of bewildered with the size and enormity. So let's just start with this. And that's what God does with us. But the steps within the plan, they are needed to keep us moving, keep us moving forward. And everyone needs a plan. Everyone needs a plan. The Bible is a plan for your life. That's why we went through the book of Proverbs. We're not finished with it. We've got to come back to it about midway through. But the whole Bible in and of itself is a plan for our life. It's not a better plan on earth. You can read every New York Times bestseller. They're not a better plan than the Bible. But individual plans, let's say uh, for your family or, or ministry, uh, something that's important that God has laid on a heart, each of that needs a plan. And it, the plan has to first come from the Lord. And it has to address specific needs because God is very specific. He's going to get down to exactly what he wants to accomplish. So if you're taking notes this morning, you see the title uh, of the message this morning, God's Kind of Strategy. God's Kind of Strategy. We have a very strategic God. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we can know that God is true is nobody could have written the strategy we see from Genesis to Revelation. It's too divine. It's too complex and amazing and yet simple all at the same time. God's strategy. He has a strategy for every single thing. And we'll look at three things this morning to keep it simple, but to stay focused on what it is that Nehemiah found in this strategy that is God's kind of strategy. And the first thing we want to look at if you're taking notes is this is a theme that carried over from last week. You know, we looked at last week um, while we wait you say, well, we covered waiting last week. Well, that's actually prayer and fasting. But you can wait in that too. I forgot. Oh, this is a reminder that I forgot I put in there. Keep doing this. All right, keep going. All right. Maybe God wanted you to know that. So keep praying and fasting because that's part of waiting. But anyway, I forgot I put that in there. Anyway, on to uh, wisely waiting. This theme, it carries over from last week. So uh, look at verse 11 in your Bibles. So I came to Jerusalem, was there for three days. Carries us over from the study from verses 1 to 10. And it's a good carryover lesson because we'll hardly learn waiting in a single week. Amen? Amen. Some of you that have been waiting for things you've been praying for for years, you know you don't learn this in a single week. And matter of fact, you sometimes thought you learn it and you go backwards and you've got to relearn it. It's like that game shoots and ladders, right? You know, you're cruising along. And we went back 10 steps, right? And you got to relearn the waiting game in the Lord. And it happens in life. We just continually learn this lesson. If you're, if you're still learning how to patiently wait, we can all empathize with you. It's a, it's a club that Nehemiah was certainly a part of, and others in scriptures uh, will tell us that we can all continue to learn to wait we continue to grow in waiting. And if we have the Holy Spirit in us, he's going to make patient waiters out of all of us. We're going to become patient waiters. That's good news. You don't have to worry. You will, if you're saved, you will become a patient waiter. Because God's not going to, he's not going to say, well, you, you, know, you don't have to learn this lesson, just everybody else. Everyone gets brought into this. Waiting will always be necessary and part of a life of those that follow the Lord. We won't, have to, we won't have to wait forever 
for every single thing. Some things we won't have to wait near as long for, and that's a good thing, right? You know, so thankfully, every little thing that God does in our life doesn't require the same amount of time. Some things are longer, some things are shorter. But we'll always need to wait for God's direction. And here's the other one, his timing. His timing, not our timing. You don't want to go before the Lord. Moses said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to go unless you're going with us. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Lord, I don't want to go unless you're going with me. You leave the house without Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that he's not in your heart, but I'm saying you leave without his plan, without his timing. It's not a good thing. Let, remi- let me remind us all again of Psalm 46.10. Be still and know. It's not just know God, although that's the most important part of it. I believe when you know God, you know the other things that God wants you to know. Amen? Be still and know God. Be still and know that I am God. But as we're still and know that he's God, we know the things God wants us to know, like not yet, not them, not those words. You mean I can't write this in email, Lord? No. Maybe 10 years from now you can, but not right now. All of those things. Be still, because when we're still, God says, I'm going to settle your thinking. I'm going to correct your thinking. And we usually find out that Things that we're flustered about are not really outside there. They're in us. To be still. Know that I am God. Knowing his direction. Now, Nehemiah's wait here, he said he was there for three days. He didn't do anything for these first three days, at least not related to the call. His wait here isn't near as long as his wait from the four-month period where he's been praying for this opportunity with the king. That was a longer wait. This is only a three-day wait. And as I said... Some waits are long, some waits are intermediate, some waits are short. It's not as long, but it's noteworthy that when he arrives with this urgent job to do, he still doesn't rush right in, does he? Rise right in, everybody get busy. Doesn't do that. He could have said, we've wasted decades, we're not going to waste a single second. Right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. Takes these first three days. Now, he's a, he, he, of course, already, he already has the green light from the Lord and the king to do this rebuild and to start making these repairs. But he f- still feels led to pause, reflect a little bit. Perhaps to rest from the trip, that would, make, that would be understandable as well, which would certainly be important to get a little bit of rest before you start a big job. But no doubt, also, once again, to... St- Take a breath and pray. Lord, we're about to start. And we pray for a couple days. Hear from you. Have the Lord's blessing. Don't you want the Lord's blessing on things you even know he's already given you to do? I prayed before I preached. Then I read, and we prayed again. I don't think there's anything such thing as too much asking for God's help. How about you? Because it really is all about him going before us to have the Lord's blessing, to ensure that God is going before us in the next steps. The longer I've been saved, the longer I've been in leadership, the more I've seen the value in slowing down. Slowing down. Praying through. Praying a little bit more through. Praying until there's a peace about something. Pray until there's a settling. Praying until you get confirmation from Scripture, from different people. 
Then you move forward, and God will make your way successful. God's never in a rush. Jesus had more to do than you and I all in this room combined, and he was never in a rush. But remember, even though uh, God is in a rush, uh, we, we even saw this in the life of Jesus. So much that he wasn't in a rush. Before he started his ministry, what did he do? He went in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days. Didn't eat, prayed, fasted, endured temptation, the, you know, Satan coming against him. Uh, that was not a wasted one and a third months. Would you agree with that? No. Lord, you know, you, do you realize how many people you could have seen in 40 days? Do you realize how many people you could have healed in 40 days? Do you realize how many things could have gotten done in 40 days and you spent it in the wilderness by yourself? Some of us need to get in the closet by ourselves. A little bit of time of waiting before will make, uh, I think it was uh, Abraham Lincoln that said, you know, spend all the time sharpening the blade and the tree comes down a whole lot easier. I'm paraphrasing, he said, you know, to make sure that take the time for preparation. The church waited 10 days in prayer before the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. They didn't hit the, you know, Jesus is gone. We better reach everybody in the next 10 seconds. 10 days of praying. Then the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now understand, this is the opposite of procrastination. This kind of waiting is not procrastination, is it? But preparation and patience. Waiting for God's timing opens bigger, bigger doors. Did you hear that? Waiting for God's timing opens bigger doors. It closes the wrong doors. That's a really good thing too, right? Because we're dumb enough to walk through them, aren't we? <laughs> it closes the wrong doors. It opens bigger doors. And all the while is perfecting us for the mission. All at the same time. God does all of this at one time in us. Even if you have a piece about proceeding with an important job to do, we'll still save ourselves unnecessary pain and pitfalls and wasted motion by praying and then God guiding the plan. Praying, then God guiding that plan. The words to Joshua, I love these words. I've spoken them to myself a lot since I was reminded of it back in the spring of 2017, and I have reminded myself these words a lot. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. The Lord told Joshua, you've not gone this way before. You haven't gone this way before. Joshua's like, hold on, I was with Moses for a long time. I thought we did it all. God said, uh-uh, you've never gone this way before. Did you know in your life and in my life, uh, there's always places we've never gone before? Amen. Always. Even in small things, we think they look exactly the same, but they're not exactly the same. Situations are slightly different at some level. Even if we can't see it, God can see the difference. So we're wise... Not to presume, even if we're well experienced, that we don't need to stop and ask for God's help. Amen? We're wise. Lord, I know I've, I've done things like this before. The team's going into Bonaire before. Well, we've been to Bonaire before. We don't really need to pray tonight. We've done this a million times. No, no, every time. Lord, give us direction. Give us your insight. How do we move forward? The next thing, we look at Nehemiah. Not only did he wisely wait... But he was willing to go. If you're taking this, willingly go. Willingly go. 
Um, God is looking for surrendered servants, not dragged, kicking, and screaming servants. Surrendered servants, willing to go. Not a gun to our head go, willing to go. Jesus willingly came to the earth. The father didn't threaten the son. The son yielded. Uh, Isaac yielded to Abraham. He willingly went to Mount Moriah, right? Willingly went. It wasn't like, you know, Abraham, capture him in the middle of the night. All right, Sarah, make sure he gets in a really deep sleep. We're going to pounce on him, throw him in his sack, and get him up on top of the mountain. Willingly. We're not looking at these last two observations and we have, you know, willingly go and we'll have one more with others. We're not going to look at these last two in sequential order, at least not directly. Mainly because the Bible, I don't know if you if you've read the whole Bible or if you read large portions of the Bible, you've re- realized that the Bible is written in different ways. It's not always in sequential order, although sometimes it is. Sometimes it just bounces back and forth and you're wondering why it seems like this is bouncing back and because God is outside of time. It's written in different manners, some poetic, some prophetic, you know, all these different, uh, different kind of manifestations of how God reveals truth. But we're looking at these final two observations and how they're complementary of one another in spiritual success in our life. They're complementary areas of spiritual success and fulfilling the plan of God in us. And both are connected, as we already start out, with waiting on God. You never get to willingly go and with others unless you've waited on the Lord first, right? So they're all connected. But we'll come back in just a few. If you look at verse 12, turn your attention to verse 12. He says, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. We'll come back to those few men in just a few minutes. That'll be a kind of our closing. Uh, but he said, I told no one what God put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except for the one which I rode. And I went out by the night, and I'm not going to reread this, but he goes and he describes the different gates, and one he couldn't get the animal underneath, whether it was a donkey, which was more than likely, but could have been a horse, but probably just a beast of burden. Either way, donkey, horse, couldn't get under. Uh, I doubt he's riding a dog, but uh, you know, couldn't, get, couldn't get that animal under. And you've got these you know, passages that say that we went in the middle of the night, we checked out all the gates. Remember, the gates had been burned with fire. The walls were, you know, uh, had breaches in the wall. The gates were burned with fire. And he really was just assessing this all in the middle of the night here. Now, just as we don't always feel like waiting, so Nehemiah, he arises and goes. He arises and goes. Just like we don't always feel like waiting, sometimes we just don't want to wait. Just as often, we don't feel like going. Isn't that interesting? We don't want to wait. We don't want to go. Sounds like dealing with a two-year-old, right? They don't want to wait or go. What is it? You just want to have a tantrum, right? Sometimes we hate waiting. Sometimes we hate going. and Sometimes we don't want to wait or go. We just want to sleep. Spiritually, sometimes literally, right? <laughs> we just want to sleep. We just want to tune out. We just want to chill out. We just want to be entertained. Our minds numbed, whatever it is. But God is asking those that wait on him to then go for him. Those that wait for him are to go for him. 
And both require waiting as well as going. Waiting and going both require spiritual fortitude. Waiting and going both require effort, don't they? Particularly in prayer that helps get us to stay or get us to go. And we've seen this in Nehemiah. His prayer life allowed him to be patient, but also allowed him to be someone that was willing to go and do. Both require this spiritual discipline of prayer and really just God changing us into patient waiters, but also willing goers. Peter and Paul, both of them, uh, speak of this. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. Vigilant requires effort. Vigilant with thanksgiving, he says. Uh, vigilance requires some effort. 1 Peter 4, 7, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Serious, watchful. That, that's the opposite of tuned out. And the discipline of prayer is what makes us ready to receive, but also ready to go and do what we've received. Nehemiah said, Lord, I'm willing to go if you send me. God says, I'm willing to send you. But now you're going to need this strategic plan. And when I give it to you, you're going to have to step forward. You're going to have to actually go. Prayer prepares the heart. And the heart prepares the weak or the self-centered mind. Did you hear that? Prayer prepares the heart. And then the heart changes the mind. Prayer changes the heart. The heart then is used to convert the thinking of the mind. And that's God says, all right, now the mind is prepared for action. The New Testament talks about this. And let's look at this in Nehemiah, how he was ready and how he was willing to go or to step forward. Back to verse 12. Then I arose in the night. Interesting time of day, huh? Then I arose in the night. By the way, the whole church is called right now to arise in the night. It's getting darker out there. It's getting darker and darker. Remember the, great, uh, the late, great Adrian Rogers, pastor of Bellevue Baptist. He used to, uh, some of you probably still hear him on the radio, but uh, he was asked if, uh, when he, in his life, was it getting darker? He said, it may be getting darker out there, but we're getting brighter in here. So, uh, you know, the, the fact is that that the church is called to get brighter as the world gets darker. So the church as a whole, you could take this verse and underline it and say, this is for me, this is for Calvary Chapel Richmond, we're called to arise in the night Amen. as the church. But how many of you like to get up in the middle of the night and do ministry? Literally. You like a 3 a.m. job for ministry. After you settled in, after a good night's sleep, and you get, you want a call to go do ministry at 3 a.m. The new moms, you get to do it all the time, don't you, right? Uh, uh, you have a, a baby voice that allows you to, uh, it's not a phone call, it's saying, I am awake and I want something to eat, right? Uh, if you've ever had the family with flu, you get to arise in the night, right? Whether you want to do it or not. And, uh, and when that happens, you get to crawl through the following day, like, you know, barely making it through the next day, right? You still have to go to work, still have life to live. But Nehemiah, he rose for three primary reasons. He arose in the night. No one made him do this. He just did it. No one forced him to it. He said, I'm going to rise in the night. Three reasons. Number one, he did it for God. He rose because the Lord put it on his heart. Number two, 
for others. He's getting a lay of the land so lives are going to be rebuilt. This is all, it's not about him. It's for other people. And number three, this last one is for him, for his own growth. When we take steps that God's called us to take, we grow. The roots go a little deeper. They go further into the ground. But a crisis in the night or a new baby responsibility, so if you have some crisis in the night in your family or uh, you've got a brand new baby and, and so you're, you're going to get a lot less sleep for the uh, first few months, um, those kind of responsibilities that happen to us, uh, they do require a willingness, no doubt. You've got to be willing to get up and feed the baby or clean up the mess or whatever it is or uh, respond to a family situation. But we'd be completely unfit as parents if we didn't respond to those things. Amen? Nobody would say, well, they're still a good parent even though they won't feed their kid in the night, right? No, you'd be completely irresponsible. But are we willing to rise in the night on something that's not on our radar at all? In a sense, it's not our problem. Again, Nehemiah, he, he was set back in Persia. He had a great job. He did not need to leave what he was doing. He could have said, Lord, in my devotion time with my cup of coffee, I pray that you would send a really cool individual to Jerusalem. And I'm going to pray fervently that you send that person and make them willing and all that stuff. No. He looked at himself. He got, Nehemiah had already settled it in his heart that God would send him and that whatever that entailed, that sending, he was ready to walk in it. Long trip, you know, no more Persian grocery store. It, was, it wasn't, wasn't really happening real well in Jerusalem at that time. No, uh, no night, uh, he could have stayed back in Persia, with no nighttime ministry to deal with. No, but he was willing and ready. What if we announced? Uh, what if we announced here that a missionary team was arriving in three weeks at two a.m. in the morning at Richmond International Airport? We we tell y'all we put it up in the announcements in our long list of announcements. You get this one there that uh, missionary team is coming two a.m. in the morning on such and so a date, and we put the announcement up the date. Nobody's going to force you to volunteer. You're not going to be forced to volunteer. Nobody is going to slash your tires or anything like that if you don't volunteer. We've never done anything like that that I'm aware of. But um, <laughs> we're not going to guilt trip you. No one's going to guilt trip you and send you, you know, a bunch of emails about all the other great things other people in the world have done and you should do this. No one's going to guilt trip you. But God speaks to your heart and tells you to arise and do it. What are you going to do? Are you going to say no or go? No one guilted you. No one, you know, like spammed you or called you 80 times until you finally said, all right, I'll go. God simply speaks to your heart and says, hey, you're available that night. Why don't you go? 2 a.m. You've got to go pick that team up. They've been serving in the Middle East. They've been serving really hard for me. I want you to go pick them up. Brotherly love, as the Bible calls it. And by the way, we, we typically... Um, we typically never say no way to God. We use creative answers to God. We don't ever say no way. We don't even say no way to people. We say things like, I'll think about it. 
Oh, let me check my schedule. And your mind was like, I'm not checking my schedule. Um, I might be busy that day. I mean, we have all kinds of other, we have creativity in our answers. But the answer is still no, and God sees right through all of our answers. So we don't ever say no way to God. We just kind of say, oh, Lord, uh, what about this, what about this? We were talking about this Wednesday night in, in Colossians 1. And if you're able to start coming on Wednesday, I hope you do. The Colossians study has been really a blessing. And what it means to walk worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing Him. That was in Colossians 1, verse 10. Walking worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing Him. Fully pleasing Him. We don't want to partially please. We want to fully please the Lord. Those were Paul's exact words. And what the Lord is telling us in Colossians 1.10 and in many other places in Scripture is that worthy and pleasing Christ is to be in harmony with the presence of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Harmony with the presence of the Spirit and in obedience to His prompting in our life. So if the Spirit prompts, I want you to go pick up that team at 2 a.m., you don't say, no way, or I would, but. So if the Lord says to you, and again, we don't have, this announcement's not going to pop up. This is all theoretical, right? Right? Although something could happen like that sometime this year, but right now this is just an illustration. But if the Lord were to put that announcement up and you got that, the Lord says, I want you to go. He would want you to arise, click on smartphone, and respond with these letters, Y-E-S. Yes, I will be glad to get up for the 2 a.m. arrival. And I'll trust God to bless it and give me the strength to do it. That's the kind of answer God is looking for from us. And I'll, I'll just believe that he's going to give me the energy to survive that incredibly difficult mission. By the way, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we do this half the year just to get to church. Are you kidding? I mean, literally, they would, they, they would be like, you, you, got, you really struggle over this answer? You really struggle? Over, I mean, North Korean Christians, Central African Christians, they would look at us and say, I, whatever, uh, I, we don't get it. But they pray for us anyway, and they love us. Go, Lord, you're going to give me the same energy you would, even if it was something I wasn't planning on, like the kids thrown up in the night. You held me there, you'll take care of this. Because neither parenting nor being a Christian is a spectator sport. Neither parenting nor being a Christian is a spectator sport. Everyone gets on the field in God's family. Now, if like Nehemiah, or let's say in the, the movie Mission Impossible, you had the agent, if you're willing to accept the mission, you have to be willing to accept the mission, right? If you say, God says, do you choose to accept the mission or not? You say yes, then you're going to still need God's wisdom and strategy to go forward, right? You say, well, picking up at the airport, what kind of strategy would be needed for that? Well, the 2 a.m., as it turns out, the 2 a.m. trip to the airport is picking up a team of 12, and your car holds six, right? You already need a strategy, don't you? Unless you plan on, well, I'll just put them on top of the car. It's not that far of a drive down the Pocahontas Parkway, right? These are rugged people. They've been surviving in the Middle East. They're going to do great on top of the car. <laughs> You're going to need a better strategy than that. We haven't even included luggage. 
a lot of luggage from an international trip. You have to get a plan in place that secures the right resources for the job. Don't ever do a job without the right resources. And in the Christian life, we don't ever do a job without God providing the plan. And when he provides the plan, here's the good news, he will provide the resources. He doesn't raise stuff up, say, you know, Moses, I want you to get them out of the country, but I have no idea how we're going to do it. No, he has a plan, and he has the resources to do it. And if you're desiring to pick this team up to him and say, Lord, I, all right, I've accepted the mission, Lord. I hate getting up at 1 in the morning, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to dig down deep. I'm going to set 10 alarms to be up at 1 a.m. to get the car ready. I'm going to have a strategy. I'm going to have to find other people to help me because there's no way we're going to get 12 into my plus luggage and all this stuff. And you're desiring not just to pick this team up, but God then starts to stir details that you originally weren't even thinking about. Originally, you only thought about getting up. But then God says, how are you going to bless them? What kind of food are you going to have when they get off the plane? What kind, where are they going to stay? You start to realize that it wasn't just two details, it was 20. And God says, starts laying out the plan. Because God says, I don't want you just, I want you to bless them like people refreshed Paul when he got to cities. They just gave him the royal treatment. They blew him away with the love and affection. And then you start thinking, I bet other people would want to get in on this. And all, this thing, all these little details matter. And as you get direction from the Lord, you start processing all the steps. All jobs and missions rest on critical success factors. All jobs and missions need critical success factors. There has to be a strategy for addressing these individual components. And thankfully, we serve a strategic God who has infinite wisdom, who has infinite resources, who will not only take care of the must-haves, but even the nice-to-haves within a mission. Spiritually speaking, God will send us out in ways that accomplish his will, that glorify his name, and impact lives all at the same time. One bullet, all those targets hit. Nehemiah has a job in front of him that's a whole lot bigger than planning a 2 a.m. arrival at the airport. And I'm not minimizing that. I've, I've done some of these things, and when I think I sign up for them, I'm like, oh, wow, I forgot this, 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 and this, right? <clears throat> but he has a bigger job than that. It's going to need even more wisdom. It's going to need more blessing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, if you took this job at the 2 a.m. thing, yes, you want to settle this team. You want to welcome them. But how about if you had to rebuild walls that haven't been done nearly 100 years? Big job. This job has never been accomplished. Little does Nehemiah know. There Now, I believe he already knew in his spirit, because at verse um, 10, he said, when Sanballat... Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it. They were deeply disturbed. I believe Nehemiah knew there was some opposition to this, but I don't believe he had any idea how much opposition. By the way, when you do anything for God, you will get spiritual opposition. You may not be aware of how much opposition is coming, but just when you sign up for that 2 a.m. team, someone calls and says, hey, we're all going to hear it that night. And you're tempted to say, well, that is important. It could be opposition. The enemy is just trying to... They don't do it. It's going to be serious opposition he's not even fully aware of. God, of course, is aware of all the opposition. And so the Spirit's going to give him a clear and strategic list on where to start and how to start. And if you're taking notes, we'll look at these things, where, it's, where he started. Nehemiah's willingness to go first, he arose in the night. 
What does that mean to us? He arose not. He ignored inconvenience. Sometimes you just have to ignore inconvenience. That didn't say that we're unaware of it, but we push it aside. We ignore inconvenience. We say, all right. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about three different uh, roles. Athletes, farmers, and soldiers. If you're an athlete, if you're a farmer, if you're a soldier, you have to ignore inconvenience. You have to farm on rainy days, cold days, blazing hot days. If you're an athlete, if you are, have a sprained foot and you are needed to play, you're going to have to play with it anyway, right? All these things. You have to ignore it. It's called endurance. You have to be willing to ignore inconvenience. Nehemiah did that. Second, he had others uh, come with him. He was in fellowship. Uh, if you don't have fellowship and relationships, you're never going to be able to get other people to help with the job. You have to have relationships. That's why many of you had kids to get more work done around the house, right? You know. <laughs> and you found out they actually create more work. So this is how, how, does, how, is, how is this a net benefit? No, I'm kidding. I, I'm joking, of course. We get really good at learning how to take the additional work and turn it into a positive. But in the church, in the family of God, we have to have relationships. And it says Nehemiah, he had a few men with him. We'll come back to that uh, as we close. But, uh, but those men, too, were okay with inconvenience. Third, um, I'm going to put my glasses on because I can't see here. All right. Third, uh, he had a clear call and a vision from God. Look at uh, his clear call. He says, what God had put in my heart to do. God had put it in his heart to do. God put a clear call in his heart. This includes both the desire to rebuild as well as how to go about it. I know there are churches in America that are run by committees. And by the way, some committees and groups, I, I'm not against committees and groups. I think they can be very effective, so that, that, that's not my point. I'm talking about churches run by committee is different than having, I'll sometimes assemble committees or groups for the purpose of coming up with a problem-solving thing or coming up with a solution. Or, so they're effective, but there's churches that are run by committees. But the God of the Bible throughout history, if you study the Bible, the God of the Bible throughout history has raised up prophets, priests, Kings, apostles, evangelists, and pastors, all with a passion for the Lord and a direction from God. All throughout the scripture. You will not find God saying, and I raised up this committee to come up with a Moses, to come up with a Paul. No one would have ever picked Paul. He was, he was the church hater, and God says, all right, here's your guy. Church says, what? They were afraid of him. That's how God works, which will, and by the way, the men that God raised up will never go against Scripture. They will act in accordance with Scripture. If God raised them up, they really will never go against Scripture. They'll always be in harmony with Scripture. Now, he's even raised up women in certain leadership roles in the Bible at certain times, too, and, and, and very effective. It's not always, but, but for the most part, God's raised up men with a calling. But all throughout the Bible, God consistently gives direction, 
to yielded and spirit-filled men. That's the only people he gives direction to. All the writers of the Bible, they were yielded to the Lord, and God says, all right, now you're going to write Scripture. Not self-willed men, but spirit-filled men. And as I said, women uh, as well. Not isolated men, but men connected in fellowship. He had a few other men with him. He wasn't an island. He goes, Nehemiah's over here. I don't hang out with anybody. I just, I just hear on the mountaintop from God, and then I bark out orders. No. Fourth thing. So he, but, he, but again, he was in fellowship, but he heard from the Lord. Dads, your family needs you to be hearing from God. You're called to be the leader in your home. You need to hear from God. Your family needs to know you're hearing from God so they don't think you're just coming up with stuff. Fourth, Nehemiah told nobody. He received specific spiritual insight and discernment that this was not the time yet to tell the plan to everybody else. There are times where God says to us, zip it. Or you can't share that with so-and-so because they'll go blab it. Don't you be that person, right? <laughs> you always think, well, that's got to be the person beside me. That could possibly be me, right? It's got to be this person. But he, was, he didn't tell anyone. He wasn't hiding information, but the wisdom of the Spirit was that there would be some who would try and sabotage the mission before it ever got off the ground, right? And there are people that will sabotage things before it ever gets out the door. So via the pra prayer of his life and the Word coming from God and the Spirit, God gave him insight, and God will give us insights. God will give you insights that you hadn't thought of, and sometimes you've had these happen where out of the blue, you just have this thought, you know it comes from God, to say, I probably shouldn't do this or that or, or say this or that. That's insight from the Lord. Um, this insight goes on. Only one animal is used. You say, well, how does that factor in? Well, God knew that, hey, you're only going to have so many dark night hours to get this job done. If you're all in a bunch of animals and you run into the, remember the one place where the animal won't fit through? This is going to delay, you have X amount of time. This is a Navy SEAL mission, right? It has to be maximum effective. God says, all right, Nehemiah, you're the only one that has an animal. And why will he need the animal? He actually takes that time to go outside the city, up to the valley. He looks back to get a view from that. It's kind of like if you've seen military um, you know, documentary, they like to map out things from every angle, right? So they know all the points of entry. They know all the points of exit. They know all the vulnerabilities. And he's like, you're the only one that's going to need an animal this night. Everybody else is going to have to stay there until you get back. You come up, you come back. But he didn't know all this stuff in advance. This was insight. This was wisdom from the Lord on how this would be needed. It wasn't God being against animals or anything like that, right? The fifth thing. We need to diligently prepare and inspect, and he did that. Uh, he went out and he looked at each and everything. Uh, in the Christian life, uh, we can't wing it. We're going to have to prepare. We're going to have to, if, you, you know, if you're in ministry and you have a ministry responsibility, our worship team, this didn't just happen this morning. They practiced on Monday. They prepared, right? Our different teams that, that are headed into uh, to Bonner tonight, there's preparation, there's inspecting. How, do, how are we doing? Is it working? Is what we're doing working? Children's ministry, same thing. All these areas, 
Uh, and you do this in your own life. I hope that you do it in your own home life. Uh, you don't just uh, assess at the end of the year in December. I hope throughout the year you make course corrections and you're assessing, hey, this, this approach in our family, we're not able to get together for devotions. Kids have practice. This has this. We need to figure out a different time, right? It's, it's assessment. He was assessing, Lord, here's, here's all the different areas that we need to understand. Again, not a spectator sport. It takes work to get these things done. Six. We see um, he gets to wait again. It says in verse uh, 16, the officials did not know where I'd gone, what I'd done. Uh, I told none of them. Again, the Lord says, all right, you have to wait a little bit more. You can't tell them just yet. Uh, and again, this theme of waiting just keeps coming, guys. It's all right. You're going to tell them, but not yet. Not yet. Sometimes as parents, you might have important things you're going to have to tell the whole family, but God says, not yet. Not yet. They need to get a little older, right? This is important, but not yet. Wait on these things. Next week, uh, we'll see where Nehemiah makes his bid to everyone. It starts in verse 17, if you read ahead. You're, you're allowed to read ahead, by the way. Feel free to read ahead. You, you'll, you'll maybe even get more out of it when you read ahead. But uh, in verse 17, you'll see that next week, Nehemiah makes his bid for everyone to come. He's not going to, the Lord's going to finally say, now tell everyone. Now call the assembly. Call everybody in. The assessment's been done. The prayer's been done. The strategy's been laid out. Because you want leadership in your life as, as a parent or me as a pastor or, uh, you know, governors and presidents. You want leadership to be well planned, well thought out. But more than that, as Christians, we want it to be we want our strategy to be given from God. We don't want to, I, I don't ever want to make up a plan for this church, but I do want God to give us one. Now, I know he has. It starts in Acts chapter 2. I look at Acts chapter 2, the early church. We have a plan. We follow that plan. People ask us, what is your strategic plan? Let me get out a Bible. You've got time to sit down? I'll show you. Acts chapter 2. We'll look at the book of Ephesians. We'll look at Exodus. We'll look at how God told Moses to set up. We'll look at uh, Paul's letters to Timothy. We'll look at Paul's letters to Titus. There's the plan. Amen? Jesus gave us a plan to go into all the world. But we, we have to have a plan, and Nehemiah is going to then share this with everyone, and we'll look at this starting next week. But first things first, God says first, this strategic plan is given to him, and he shares it with just a few men, and they're aware of it, and they can pray over it, and they can be ready then to bring others in. Again, none of this strategy is just for uh, strategy's sake. This is not, notice what also this isn't. This is not a strategic plan for Nehemiah to get rich and powerful. It's a way for him to get killed, right? But not a plan to get rich and powerful. He had a better, safer job in Persia, didn't he? A better paying job, great bennies back there in Persia, all that stuff. He did not need to do this. It was not about him becoming the ruler of Jerusalem. How do we know that? Because he was only given a certain amount of time. He was even able to do the job before he had to go back and return to his job. How many of you would take on a life-risking job that's not been accomplished nearly 100 years? You could die doing it. Go try it while you leave behind a great job. And no one made you do it except God put in your heart to do it. That's that willingness again. This is God's kind of strategy, though, isn't it? To redeem and rebuild. To redeem and rebuild. 
And yes, Nehemiah is the man God's chosen. He is the man God chose. There's no question about it. God chose Nehemiah. But yet Nehemiah is interdependent on everybody else to get the job done. God chose Joseph in Egypt. But Joseph needed people to take the grain, store the grain, put the grain in the right place, right? He needed farmers to grow the grain. Seven years worth, right? He had a strategic plan. Would you agree Joseph got, God gave Joseph a strategic plan? Of course he did. But Joseph needed everybody else to come together to get the plan done. Moses, he needed Joshua. He needed Aaron. He needed Caleb. He needed these other men, and that will make uh, any job that God gives us. He's going to not necessarily, he might give us the thought first or the vision for it first or the heart for it, but other people will be involved. So Nehemiah is the man for this job, but he's interdependent. And so back for just a second to our 2 a.m. airport arrival. Again, your car holds six, not including luggage. Guess what? You're going to have to get some other people's help, aren't you? There's no way. I mean, it's not going to happen. They can't run alongside the car, whatever else. You've got to have a better strategy than that. So others are going to have to be involved. So the last thing we'll look at, and this will continue. Now, this will be a continuous theme. You know, this, the series title is called Join Together. This will be a continuous theme that uh, as we go forward, Nehemiah is saying, all right, this is, this is everyone is involved in this. But let's just close uh, on just seven words in verse 12. Go back to verse 12. Closing thoughts on just these seven words. I and a few men with me. I and a few men with me. Could be I and a few ladies with me if you're uh, one of the ladies here. Maybe, maybe God's put on your heart that we are going to help this situation and God's put it on you and a few ladies. Or our family and a few families. Or this teenager and a couple other teenagers. We're going to do... And I, I love when I see stories like young people that got a vision and they fed like 10,000 homeless people and all this stuff, and they're 16 years old. You know, God can do great things through anyone in this room, regardless of your age, ability, or anything else. Matter of fact, your ability is irrelevant. It's your availability that matters. But when God gives you something, he more than likely will actually have others be part of it because he doesn't have a whole bunch of lone rangers. It's together. I and a few men with me. First, these closing thoughts on with others. If you're going to take steps of faith and obedience to the Lord, are there people in your life that will help and encourage you to take those steps? If you're, God puts on your heart to take steps of faith, are there people in your life that will encourage you to take those steps, or are they the kind of people that will tell you all the reasons not to do it? Yeah, yeah, that, that can't be done. Twelve spies sent in. Two said we can do it. Ten can't be done. Are there people in your life that will encourage you, people who will pray with you, that will believe with you? They're not going to be the ones that tell you it can't be done or uh, someone else should do it. Second, do you have godly peers and friends with the same heart for God? I and a few others with me. Same heart. Same heart. Same desire, same passion for the Lord, same passion for people. They share a willingness to be stretched, a willingness to be stretched. And by the way, when you get stretched with other people, it's a lot easier to, be, to bear it. Amen? The reason why those special forces teams can do some of the stretching is they don't do it alone. 
They're in groups. Everyone has to kind of bear the same weight. And it's good. That's why you know, God created things like marriage, right? Stretched together as opposed to, and, and I have a great heart for people that aren't in, the, uh, in that situation, but God has the Holy Spirit to come alongside. So we always have a co-laborer, if you will, but do you have people that are, have the same willingness? And third, God may start a vision with one, but he's not raising up these Lone Rangers as one. He might start a vision with one, but they're not a Lone Ranger as one. Nehemiah needed others, just like coaches need players and players need coaches. Amen? Amen, Amen Eagle fans, right? Coaches need players and players need coaches. You can't have one without the other. And if you've been here, we'll close with this. It's one of my favorite quotes. I haven't quoted in a while, but an African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Uh, Lord, we want to have a Nehemiah spirit, one that is willing to wait, willing to go. But, Lord, one that actually is connected with others. And, Lord, this is our prayer, that you would just continue to uh, stir within us that heart to be obedient to the Lord and to go in the strength and the vision of the Lord. And I pray that for all of my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that you would just stir within us the things that you've called us to do or to wait on or to go forward in and give us the peace and the strength and the faith to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.